someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. And from Luke 19, beginning at the first verse. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was very wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thank you, Peter. We have a two-vicar Sunday uh, for your enjoyment this morning. Uh, my name is John Forsyth. I'm the other vicar of St Jude's, uh, and it is my great pleasure to speak on this very interesting and challenging topic of greed and generosity. Now, in response to the global financial crisis in 2008, Andrew Lowe, the professor of finance at MIT, commented, he said, the free, uh, free enterprise, you'll find this a little unsurprising, is always the right answer. The problem with it is that it ignores the human element. It does not take into account the complexities of human behavior the complexities of human behaviour. In other words, the GFC wasn't just bad governance, it was the complexities of human behaviour, which is Professor Lowe's polite way of saying greed. See, at heart, greed is the worship of self-sufficient success, which can be uh, from your career or financially. Uh, Professor Lowe was repeating something which uh, Frederick Nietzsche had actually said well over a hundred years previously. Nietzsche says, what was once done for the love of God is now done for the love of money, for the love of that which at present affords us the highest feeling of power and a good conscience. There is something intrinsically self-focused about greed. Sometimes we look to other things to give us fulfillment, to give our lives meaning, something outside of us, other people. But with greed, we look at ourselves and our own abilities to find our security and fulfillment. The obvious point is that we can be greedy for money. I trust my financial situation to fulfill my life with the possessions that I can buy, which brings me significance and security. Perhaps you are greedy for success. I trust the achievements and abilities in my life for the influence and the recognition that it brings to give me my security and significance. My title tells you who I am. And it's interesting, that's often the first thing we ask somebody. But what makes greed, I think, a particularly dangerous sin is that it's very easy to see in other people, but extremely hard to see in ourselves. The more uh, successful or wealthy we are, the often the more blind we become to this. And I think, this is the kind of thinking here, I think we tend to compare ourselves with others in our socio-economic bracket. Here's the area I live within financially, and, well, yes, there are people who are better or worse than me, but generally speaking, I don't live as well as those above me in this bracket. I'm a much more modest person. She got the brand new iPhone 12 Plus, Max. I just bought the iPhone mini. I'm, I'm much further down the financial bracket than they are. But what's really interesting as we look through God's word together, we see that Jesus spends far more time preaching against greed and pride than he ever does about sex. Yet I reckon we rarely feel guilty about it. 
I think there's a little insight, particularly in that first reading from Luke chapter 12. Have a look what Jesus says in verse 15. It's really, really crucial as we begin looking at this journey from greed to generosity. He tells us to watch out. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for your life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Watch out. Be on your guard. Now, I'm going to do something that most preachers would never do, which is think of another sin. Uh, For example, stealing. Now, Jesus doesn't say, look, watch out. Be careful that you are not committing bank robbery. Because it's not halfway through the bank robbery, you've got the balaclava and the shotgun, you think, hang on a second. Perhaps this is wrong. This might be stealing. No, it's obvious. But when it comes to greed, there there is this insidious nature to it. We are so often in denial, completely unaware of our greed, that we need to be completely reminded of it. And as we look at God's word this morning, we'll see actually, in fact, grace, grace is the only thing that transforms greed to generosity. Grace is the only thing that transforms greed into generosity. And we see this beautifully illustrated in the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19. He is a wonderful story of a man steeped in greed who meets grace and is transformed into a generous person. At the beginning of the story, we meet this man. He is super successful and super wealthy and, dare I say, super hated. Verse 1, we read that Jesus is coming to Jericho and passing through and there was a man there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now he is not just a tax collector, notice, but he's the chief tax collector in Jericho, which was a major custom centre during that time. It was a wealthy tax collector. He's collecting money from all these different people. Jericho is under Roman rule, and the Romans had a very, very clever way of collecting taxes. They outsourced it. Uber tax collector. What they would do is they would employ locals as tax collectors. This is very clever because the local people knew who had the money. They knew who was well off. They knew where they kept their money. And people would bid for the contract to become a tax collector. So you would bid and say, I will take all the tax from Jericho. And whatever amount that you bid, that you got over that amount, so you bid, I bid 10,000. Anything over 10,000 was yours to keep. It's a brilliant, brilliant scheme. All a tax collector had to do is threaten to report somebody to Rome and they could pretty much extort any amount they wanted from the people in their area. And so, as you can imagine, it was open to massive corruption. Rome was, of course, hated. But the drug... uh, Sorry, I was going to say drug lords. The tax collectors were despised even more because they were like drug lords. That is, they were a real sense of, you have betrayed your entire community. Nobody would hang out with a tax collector. 
And this is Zacchaeus, a man who has stopped at nothing to be successful. He's sold out his family and his friends and his country in the name of ambition and money and success, in the name of greed. He is a self-made man. Yet in spite of his success and wealth, as we continue through this story, Zacchaeus, we realise that there is something missing in his life. Greed isn't all it's cracked up to be. His idols of wealth and success have failed him. And it's actually a very common experience for those who've made it rich quickly. Madonna, who is so famous, uh, those musicians who are so famous, they just need one name. She says, my life, my drive in life is the horrible fear of being mediocre. That's pushing me and pushing me because even though I'm somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended and it probably never will. This is Zacchaeus' story. Filthy, rich and successful, yet desperate to escape his anxiety and failure. And look what he does in verse 3. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. I always imagined if they were filming this, Danny DeVito is playing Zacchaeus. Now, obviously, the crowd are not going to let this short, unpleasant man anywhere near the front. And so Zacchaeus does a pretty extraordinary thing. Look in verse 4. He runs ahead. He climbs a sycamore fig tree to see Jesus, since Jesus was coming this way. And this is a really significant part in this story. Because in Jesus' day, the things that really mattered were not your rights or your freedom. They are things that are valuable in our culture. No, what mattered was honour and dignity. And let me tell you what is not honourable or smacks of dignity, and that is running towards a sycamore tree as a grown man and climbing it. It is a ludicrous thing to do, particularly for a man of this status. It's a sign, basically, that he's lost his mind. But notice Zacchaeus does this because he is desperate to see who Jesus is. He's not content just to wait. He's willing to forsake his dignity and honour to do it. In other words, he's desperate. If you're desperately waiting for something, it will lead to desperate action. I've done that a few times where I was camping out for tickets to see a band called U2. And I camped all night uh, in Sydney on, on the side of a road called Parramatta Road, which makes Hoddle Street look like a beautiful oasis. For a whole night, inhaling carbon monoxide, which took years off my life. Uh, the irony was, I discovered in the, the next day I could actually have bought better tickets in the afternoon. But that's... I'm still working through that pain. But that's, that was... That's the point, right? If you're desperate, you will camp out all night for tickets. Zacchaeus climbs a tree. And Jesus walks by. In front of a crowd of respectable people. Religious people. 
people who haven't betrayed their family or their country, the right kind of people, good people, nice people, people like us. But instead of stopping and talking to them, Jesus also does something extraordinary and outrageous culturally. He reached the spot where Zacchaeus is, this is in verse 5, and he looks up and he says, now what, we know the end, but everybody in the crowd is thinking, finally, right? Jesus is going to come and lay into Zacchaeus. You traitor. You have failed. You have sold out your people. But that's not what he says. He says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so Zacchaeus came down and welcomed him gladly. Friends, it's really hard for us to understand just how astonished the crowd would have been at hearing those words and how astonished Zacchaeus would have been at hearing those words. Here is Jesus walking up past all these good and faithful people to speak to a drug lord and to say, actually, I'd like to hang out with you today. What are you doing after church? Can I come, can I come to your place? Can, can we have a meal? Tax collectors culturally were considered so evil that even if you entered their house, you were considered unclean. And to eat with someone in this culture is not just food, it is friendship and it is acceptance. It says, I see you as an equal. No wonder the people are outraged and freak out. Look at verse 7. They saw this and they begin to mutter, look, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Well, of course he has. This is outrageous. But here is the case. Notice he didn't approach Jesus with his accomplishment and wealth. He actually put aside it all and climbed a tree and embarrassed himself just to get a glimpse of Jesus. He had no expectation that Jesus would stop and talk. But it's really interesting. It's not Zacchaeus who asked Jesus into his life. It is Jesus who asked Zacchaeus into his. Zacchaeus knew that his greed had destroyed him. He knew that his achievement and sense of chasing after wealth was false saviours. And he was longing and hoping that perhaps Jesus could be his true saviour. And Zacchaeus goes from being the most hated man in town to being the most loved man by Jesus. And notice the change in Zacchaeus as he starts to follow Jesus. It is revolutionary. He promises to address the reality of greed in his life and he makes two extraordinary promises in verse 8. He says, look, look, Lord, here and now, here and now, not after I've thought about it or in six months' time or once I've come, yeah. no, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay it back four times the amount. Here and now. He's promised firstly to give half his possessions to the poor. He's no longer chasing after wealth. He's no longer taking wealth off the poor. He's being generous. He's concerned for the poor. His goal is not what can I keep, 
but what can I give away? The tithe was 10%, but he says 10%. Lord, I give 50%. Grace has transformed his greed to generosity. See, where you'll spend your money and time is a, is a really good indicator of what you worship. Second, notice that his greedy concern for himself has given to a genuine concern for others. His greed had actually made him very ruthless. He'd stopped at nothing to get to the top. He'd been extorting and cheating. And I was reading a story from an author called Jim Collins who writes a book called Good to Great. And he extols this idea of making tough decisions for the good of the company. And he was talking about this man who fired his own brother in order to make money. And that was seen as a good thing to do because you're putting the priority of making money first. That's the case. Now, the Old Testament law said that if you stole anything, you had to return it with a 20% uh, interest uh, as a way of uh, apologising for what you had done. But Zacchaeus doesn't just give back what he has stolen plus 20%. No, he wants to smash his greed into pieces and he gives back four times the amount, 300% interest. The principal and 300%. He goes from self-focused greed to outward-focused generosity, to championing the poor, to serving others. Grace transforms greed to generosity. See, what we see at the heart of this story is this. Sin or idolatry is happening when we replace God with something else. For Zacchaeus... It was financial success. And redemption occurs when we replace that idol with the true and living God. And that can only happen by grace. And what this means, friends, that if you are someone who is saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are saved by grace, there is no room for greed. If greed is in your life, you can't keep it and have the Lord Jesus. You cannot serve God and money. That is what Jesus said. 1 Timothy 6.10 puts it this way, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. You cannot serve God and your success. You cannot serve God and your career. You cannot serve God and your bank account. You cannot serve God and your superannuation. You cannot serve God and your popularity. You cannot serve God and your achievements and your degree. It's one or the other. The human heart has only space for one God. Occupancy, one. That's the square meterage, you know, one per two square meters. One God per heart, that's the rule. And it's going to either be the true God or a false God. And so it's good that we pause and ask... What, what is driving me? What shapes the decisions that I make? And Jesus is telling us, look, it's actually not about you. You are not your bank account. You are not your possessions. You are not your achievements. You are not your intelligence. You are not your university or, or school score. You are not your successes or your failures. 
You are the Lord Jesus Christ's beloved child of God. See, the answer to our greed, and indeed to all of our sin, is in verses 9 and 10. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. To seek and save the lost. See, Jesus doesn't say, look, Zacchaeus, that's a pretty good start. You've given some money, keep it up. Keep being generous and then you'll be saved. Earn enough brownie points with me by being generous and then you can come into my house, be part of my family. Doesn't say salvation will come. He says salvation has come. The solution to the emptiness of his life is not chasing after money or success. It is the gift that the Lord Jesus gives us. It is grace. Grace transforms greed to generosity. The son of man, that is Jesus' name for himself, when he refers to himself often the son of man, came to seek and save the lost Friends, that is the answer to greed. That verse. That is the answer to our idolatry. That verse. We are the lost ones. Jesus came from the throne room of heaven. The most rich and ornate place. Gave up his position of authority and wealth sitting at the right hand of God. That is what he gave up for you and me. 2 Corinthians 8 puts it so beautifully in verses 8 and 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor. So that by his poverty we might become rich. Jesus gave up his treasure in heaven to make us his treasure. See, what Zacchaeus was doing was, was hoarding this money and wealth to make him feel like he was valuable, that he was worth something. It's funny how that, that language is, it's the language of money, isn't it? But what Zacchaeus didn't realize is he already was worth something. Christ showed him just how much Christ himself treasured Zacchaeus. Not just by going up to that tree and saying, come down, have lunch with me, but ultimately by dying for him. To give him forgiveness. And it's the same for us. If you want to know how valuable you are, how much you're worth, you look at the cross of Christ. Christ died for you. That is how valuable you are. That the true and living God will give up his only son to redeem you. That is your value. See, money and success, friends, will never, ever equal that significance. Your money won't die for you. I guarantee you it won't. You might die for it, but it won't die for you. Your money will never give you the security that you crave. There is just another global financial crisis 
around the corner at some point. Your money will never earn you forgiveness. It will never pay off the debt of your sin. Only the Lord Jesus can do that. Money and success cannot save you from tragedy or give you control in our chaotic world. Only the Lord Jesus can do that. See, the Lord Jesus is our only significance and our only security and the one who has given us all these things by grace as a gift. A gift is not something you earn, it is something you're given. And so it means that you don't have to worry about money or success. Now, you might get money and success, fantastic. You might not get money or success, fantastic. You are equal in God's eyes regardless. The call is, well, friends, if if you have been saved by grace, if you are that valuable and precious, how can your heart not be softened to be generous, whether you earn $5 a week or $5,000 a day? It doesn't make any difference. Is your heart generous? Because the uh, the cross, friends, proves God's love for you and gives you so much more certainty than anything in this world. It means you don't have to envy somebody else's money or somebody else's experience or somebody else's success. Jesus' love and salvation confers upon you an astonishing, remarkable status that no amount of money or success can ever earn you. And because greed cannot be expelled, it must be replaced. And only grace transforms greed to generosity. See, friends, if you are wrestling with greed, you've forgotten grace. The answer isn't try harder. You'll just feel more guilty. And that's that's an often why ministers kind of get you to give money, right? Oh, you're a terrible person unless you give money, right? That is not the gospel. The gospel says we are all terrible people, me included, But God loves us so much, he has redeemed us by his grace, which means we can be free to be generous. God has given us the most astonishing and valuable thing of all, eternal life with him. And when that's secure, you can see how everything else really kind of fades into the distance. Yes, it's great to have a fantastic career. But the question is, what are, you, what are you doing in that career? How are you being generous in that career? Yes, it's great to have an income, but what the question is really, well, if I'm saved by grace, what am I doing with that money? How am I being generous with that money in response to the God who loves me first? Because only grace transforms greed into generosity. Let me pray that we will be people who are deeply soaked in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, help us not to store up for ourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But help us to store up for ourselves the wonderful treasures in heaven, won for us by the Lord Jesus Christ. 
where moth do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. And let our hearts not be filled with greed, but be transformed by your grace to reflect the astonishing generosity that you show us. In Jesus' name, amen.